0: God wants to move. He wants to move in your life. He wants to move in in my life. He wants to do something profound in all of our lives here this weekend in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota. Now, with that said, guys, I I do think there's like a danger to a retreat like this. You know, one of the dangers that that I see is that we we come to a a place like this expecting to hear like words from people, but not necessarily words from God. God. You know that we, we come to a place like this and we're like, man, we need a great teaching. Like we need some great breakout sessions. I need to hear something profound. Like I, I need like that fire rekindled and, and people, I can't wait to hear my connection group leader say something and, and something's got to happen. And we just wait to hear like these profound, great words from people. But I, guys, I want you to know this, guys. God's word and God's power are the only hope that we got. And so this is why we open the Bible together at Salt Company. We come eagerly and expectantly to hear from God through his Bible that he's given us, his words to us. But man, moments like this, they honestly just cause me to pause and to stop. You know, and every time I'm at a place like this speaking, I see a picture of my family. It really causes me to, to stop for a second because honestly, guys, it's, it's really strange that, that I'm here. And standing on the stage tonight, and, and here's what I, what I mean. Guys, stories like mine, they, they typically don't end up going well. It doesn't have a good ending. You know, I, I come from, like, extreme brokenness. Family, broken, a lot of immorality, a lot of mental illness. This all kind of, like, spilled over into to my life, and, and, and really for the first 24 years of, of my life, really, really far from God. Really just kind of like egotistic and like narcissistic. It was, it was all about me. I was, I was an addict. I was a womanizer. I was just honestly like a pathetic excuse for a man. And I remember in college, it was my junior year when I first heard the gospel of Jesus from one of my teammates that I played with in college. His name was Andy. And you know, I guys, I was that guy that You know, ran around on the weekend and you would see downtown and you're like, he's probably going to die tonight. Like, Like that was, Andy made me look like tame, okay? Andy had this radical encounter with God as a senior in college. God totally transformed his life. And I remember the day we were getting taped up before practice. I'd stopped seeing him at the bars and clubs. I was like, what's going on with you? And he just looked at me and he's like, I'm a Christian now. I love Jesus and I'm trying, I can't be the man that I once was. And, and I didn't know what was happening. Like, this was a guy that I respected. He was a manly dude. He's bigger than me. One of my best friends has beaten me up. Like, and now he's talking about, like, he, he loves Jesus. And I remember he would just share. Like, he would talk about Jesus like, like he just talked to him. Like, he, he knew him. And he would share the gospel. And I remember him telling me how God has a family and I could be part of it. And, guys, this just didn't make any sense to me. Like, I couldn't fathom a person like me being welcomed into God's family. And guys, this is where we get into our theme for the retreat. Guys, that when it comes to God, we have a completely unexpected God. All right, that when you think about the Bible and and all that it shares and all that it teaches, Jesus came into the world at a desperate time and in a desperate way. And it wasn't the way that people expected him to come. It wasn't with the message that that people expected to hear. It wasn't really to meet any of our expectations, but it was to love us in the ways that we most desperately need. And guys, throughout the next few days, we're gonna be looking at this unexpected Jesus with one question, and it's this. Because what does this all mean for me? What does it mean? This is what we're gonna be asking, and we come eager and expectant. And so I'm going to pray, God, and just pray with me, and then we're, what is that sound? Do you guys hear that? I don't know what that is, like a little rabbit over there or something, okay? (laughs) Rabbits don't talk, I don't know. Okay, anyway, we're going to pray, and just ask God to just do something as we open the Bible, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you for... Tonight, thank you for this weekend. Thank you that you're here, that you want to teach us something, not for the sake of information, but for the sake of transformation. And so, God, would you just humble our hearts, help us to just sit there with open hands, willing to receive from you. And God, I just ask that you just do something profound in our midst, that we would look back at Camp Victory in years to come and say, I encountered God in that place. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and, and open up and find your place to the Gospel of Matthew chapter one. And guys, while you get there, let me say this. The, the passage that, that I'm gonna teach through tonight might be one of the most formative passages of my entire life. All right, and it's, it's, it's shaped me as a man. I've, I've heard teachings on, on Matthew chapter one and the family nature of God, and it's, it's drastically impacted me in the way that I view myself, the way that I view God, and the way that I view, honestly, the world that we, we live in. And all that I'm about to share over the next couple days is, are largely based on the things that, that I feel like God has just sh- like showed me throughout my walk with him. And I'm just like, my posture here is, honestly, is not someone who has it all together, right? Is, but it's just someone who just wants to live with open hands and just say, here. For what it's worth, take it and see what God would do with it with you. Now, as we get into this, there's one thing we need to, we need to know, okay? Second Timothy 3.16 says that all of Scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable, all right? This is going to be extremely important for you to remember as we get into the text tonight. It's, it's going to make sense here in just a minute because as we get into the Gospel of, of Matthew, he starts with a long list of names, a genealogy, all right? And as he does this, he, he not only introduces us to Jesus, but he also introduces us to Jesus' family. And if we're honest, guys, you know, the genealogies throughout the Bible, these tend to be the parts that we, we get to and we start reading, like, the first like, couple names, right? And we're like, who are all these people? And, like, why? Like, why is this here, right? And rather than trying to, like, figure out what, why they're there, right? What do we usually do? i are like, okay, well, let's go to the next page, right? <laughs> Does anybody actually read them? Okay, good. They're, you guys aren't lying. That's great. All right. <laughs> But guys, for me, I, I learned to like skip this. This is like what I learned like in my first Bible study that I ever went to in the locker room at Bowling Green State University. Having not grown up in the church, I, I literally knew nothing about the Bible. And I remember the first Bible study I went to and someone was like, open up to like John 3.16. And I'm like, is that like a... Page number, like I don't know what this means, and and like, and, and I'm in this Bible study, and like I didn't want these guys, like they were super zealous Christians, and I didn't want them to get too worked up and see like I was excited or anything like that. So I was like, hey guys, like theoretically, all right, don't pounce on me, but theoretically, if I wanted to start reading the Bible, like where should I start? And the guy that was leading, he he said, we'll start in the Gospel of Matthew go to Matthew chapter one. It's all about Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And you know, looking back on that, that's like really good advice if, if he would have stopped there, all right? Because what happened was is I got, he gave me this Bible. I got to Matthew chapter one when I got home that night and I started reading and I saw all these names and I was just like, this is like a really bad book, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, I don't understand why Christians are like all about this. And so the next day I practiced, I, I pulled him. I was like, hey, John, come here, dude. Like, no offense, but like, what are you guys into, right? It's just like a phone book. Like, what are, you, what are you doing? I'm like, this is really bad. And he was like, oh my gosh, man, I, for, I forgot to tell you. Like, whenever you get to a long list of names, just skip that part because it's, really it's really not relevant to us today. And so I did. And for years, I just, I had that thought. I was like, okay, we just skip this part. because here's what you need to know. The genealogy here in Matthew chapter one is absolutely critical. To understanding the gospel of Jesus and how we are to relate with God. And I wanna show you this tonight because here's the truth. As we look at Jesus and his family tonight, we're gonna to see something completely unexpected. That it would seem like to make sense that the perfect man Jesus would come from like a perfect family, right? It would, it would make sense. But here's what you need to know, guys. Jesus' family is just like all of our families. Meaning this, Jesus' family is a very sinful family. It's a messed up family. It's a broken family. And in the midst of all of this brokenness, guys, there's there's something incredible. There's this unexpected good news for every single one of us. And so here's what we're gonna do, okay? We're just gonna read chapter one. And I'm gonna show you two men and two women who are significant in the family story of Jesus. And as we look at these people, I want you to remember this. This is kind of like the big idea. So if you don't have your journal thing, your booklet thing open up, all right? Write this down in there, okay? There is room for you, in Jesus' family. Because this is the big idea. There's a place for you in Jesus' family. Regardless of, of who you are, regardless of what you have done, what you currently do, what you currently believe, we're gonna see this truth that there's room for you in Jesus' family by looking at these four people today. And I think that I know that every single one of us is gonna relate at least to one of these people. And so here's here we go. Let's get into this. Matthew chapter one, verse one. This is what we see. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. I want you to circle David. We're going to talk about David. So the son of David, the son of Abraham. Circle Abraham. We're going to talk about him. And now what we're going to have after this is a long list of names. All right? And does anybody else besides me get a little bit of anxiety, like reading things that I don't know how to pronounce? Does anybody, you guys know how to pronounce them all? Okay. Well, I'm the only one. Okay. Because I'll let you in on a little bit of my life. I'm really not particularly smart okay, I, I'm just not, I got into college at Bowling Green State University because it was open enrollment, no joke, and I was good at football, like if you had money and a pulse, you could get into the school that I went to, okay, but uh, because I'm not that smart, I have to learn tricks, all right, especially being a pastor, and so here's a trick that I've learned from pastors that I heard, I've heard preach on this passage, Guys, when you read the Bible out loud, and when you get to a place that you don't know how to pronounce like names or words, here's what you do, just read it quickly and confidently, And everyone is going to be amazed at how smart you are, okay? I'm going to demonstrate this for you right now, all right? Here we go, ready? (laughs) Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez- and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, I just made that up, right? The father of Nishan, and Nishan, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. I want you to circle Rahab. We're gonna talk about her. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. We're gonna talk about Ruth. Circle Ruth in your Bible. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, all right, so we'll stop there. You, you notice there that David had a kid with another guy's wife, okay? We're gonna talk about this, but just as a preface, this is not good, okay? We're gonna, we'll get into this, okay? In Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos. And whenever I hear Amos, those little famous Amos cookies, so good. Amos. The father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shittil, and Shittil the father of Zerubbabel, my favorite word in the Bible, Zerubbabel. You can't say it without smiling, right? And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Elakim, and Elakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliud. And all you Star Wars nerds are like, Obi-Wan Kenobi is coming up soon, right? And Eluid, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Methan, and Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Thank you, guys. Come on. So I'm going to have the band come up, and we're good, right? (laughs) Now, guys, one quick contextual thing to mention before we dig into this. This is going to help our our understanding of this, okay? The Gospel of Matthew was written to a Jewish audience, all right? And the Jews at this time were a really just kind of like prideful group of people. These people were were very religious, and they would tend to see their family through like rose-colored glasses. And what that means is that they they would like overlook any flaws and any sin that they had, and as they would do this, they would reference all these people back that we just read in this list, and they say, that's our family. This is our family, that they would talk about their family, and they would say, God chose us. We're God's chosen people, right? He, love us, he loves us. He, he spoke to us. And even more, Jesus is a descendant of our family. And as they did this, guys, they would overlook the fact that their family was actually really messed up. They forgot the fact that their family was really broken and sinful, and they desperately needed a Savior to bring them to God. They're comparable to the people, maybe some of you, maybe in this room, who you grew up in a Christian home. You've got a Christian mom, a Christian dad, a Christian grandma, a Christian dog, a Christian cat. Cats are evil. That doesn't work, right? Cats are evil. Amen? Right? And you just assume, right, that since everyone else in your family is a Christian, that you are too. But the problem lies in the fact that that you don't love God and you're not following Jesus. Because this was kind of like the Jews. For them, it was all about their family. It was not all about Jesus. And so Matthew starts by telling them their unexpected family history in light of Jesus and we'll deal first with the man Abraham. Matthew mentions him if you look back in verses one and two. And as we consider Abraham, guys, we're, we're talking about like a pillar in the history of the world. All right, his name is mentioned more than 300 times throughout the Bible, and the Jews would actually call Abraham like the, the father of their faith. So he's kind of a, a big deal throughout history and in the Bible. But here's the interesting thing, guys. When God came to, to Abraham, because he wasn't a Jew, right? in fact, he was quite the opposite. We see in the Bible that Abraham came from a place called Babylon, who are in many ways, like, in many regards, like, enemies of God. They didn't love God, they didn't follow God, none of that. And so here's a guy from a group of people who cared nothing of God, who weren't seeking God at all. But in the midst of this, guys, God was seeking him. And I really want you to see this, guys. All right, Abraham was not calling out for God, but God came calling out to him. And in this, guys, we see something so significant. We see that God loves regardless of behavior and faith. You just need to know that. In fact, you've never locked eyes with someone that doesn't mean a significant amount to God. No matter how jacked up you think they are, God loves. And in Genesis chapter 12, one of the most, the huge chapters in the Bible, God breaks into Abraham's life, much like he's broken into many of your lives, and he says, Abraham, I love you, I want to be your God, and I want to use you in crazy ways to change everything. And God tells him that even though him and his wife are very old, that he's gonna have a son and through him would come a descendant who would be the savior of the world, Jesus. Now here's what I want you to see. Because even though Abraham is a huge man of faith in the Bible, he's still a man with a huge sin problem that desperately needs a savior. See, Abraham was, was much like me and many of you who for the longest time like cared nothing about God. But despite this, God cared for him and radically redirected his life. And even after coming to God in faith, I love the fact that the Bible is so honest. The Bible is like the most honest book in the world. The Bible is so honest to to show Abraham that he doesn't become perfect through faith. Like he still struggles. Some of you have maybe think like I become a Christian, Jesus takes my sin and now I'm like completely sanctified. And you don't, you don't have sin. That's just a lie, guys. The, the Christian life is not about perfection, but it's about progression, right? It's, it's not about being perfect, because we're not gonna be perfect, but it's about progressing towards God. So every day is just another step towards Jesus, being conformed to the image of Jesus. Romans eight twenty nine. this is what it is. But Abraham doesn't become perfect. Instead, he becomes forgiven and redeemed, and he continually needs the grace of God throughout his life because he screws up in a lot of different ways, And maybe you can relate to that. I I certainly can. But when I consider Abraham, guys, I I think of many of us, that much like Abraham, some of you are here today and and you're walking through life without a care or regard for God. Some of you intentionally, some of you just ignorantly. But God has, has brought you here this weekend. And maybe you're beginning to sense him doing something in your life like Abraham did. And God is just waiting for you to respond in faith like Abraham did so he can show you his love, so he can take your sins, so he can bring you into his family and change the course of your entire life. God wants that for you guys. He wants that for every single one of you. The question is, guys, and I'd love for you to talk about this in your connection group. The question is, is will you be like Abraham and respond to God working in your life? Or will you remain outside the royal family of God? Guys, this is a huge question. So that's Abraham. The genealogy moves on to a man named David. Verses 1 and 6, you can see David mentioned. And like Abraham, David is a a massive figure in the Bible. He was chosen by God to lead in a very significant way as, as a king. And even more, if you remember, at one point, God even says something very significant about David. Do you remember what he says? He's a man after God's own heart. And so David was, was chosen by God. He was blessed by God. He was in the line of Jesus from Abraham. But along with that, guys, David was not always a good and godly man. That just like Abraham, even though he was a great man of faith, he was also a great man of sin, and he too needed a savior. And guys, here's what we need to know. Because David shows us that even the seemingly great and godly among us are still messed up with sin. And we all need the grace of God, every single one of us, myself included, everybody. And Matthew shows us this by the way that he talks about David. If you look back to verse 6, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. All right, so you've put this together, right? This is not good, but to make a a long story short, here's what we know. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, David's king, he, he sends his his. Soldiers out to, to fight a battle. He's walking around. He stays back. He's on the top of his, his palace, and he's just walking around, kind of being idle. And there was a soldier in David's army named Uriah who was off fighting, but he was married to a woman named Bathsheba. All right? And while Uriah was fighting this battle for David, David caught a glimpse of Uriah's wife bathing. All right? And this is one of those, like, truthful but, like, awkward moments in the Bible. Like, you're not, like, how did that happen? Like, I don't, we don't know how that's happened. But however it went down, David saw her, he wanted her, he pursued her, he slept with her, and he got her pregnant. And Because you know those moments when you realize that you really mess up? And you're like freaking out, and you're trying to cover up, you're, you're scrambling so that no one finds out. This is kind of what David does. He freaks out, and he schemes up this plan to kill Uriah. And he basically sets up a moment in battle where Uriah is killed by the enemy. And so the the man who is chosen by God, who is a man after God's own heart, is also a murderer and an adulterer. Now, does this like seem off to any of you? Right, this is like one of those moments where you're like, how, I mean, this seems to like violate something in us. But think about this, guys. If you could travel back in time and talk to a Jew in this era, they would say that the two greatest people in the world were David and Abraham. And Matthew is showing them that, yes, they they did great things and God used them, but they were both really messed up and they were sinful and they needed the grace of the God. And guys, this is a, a huge point that Matthew is making. That we need Jesus. That even though David's sin was great, I want you to hear this, guys. God's grace is greater. And I need you to see this. This is true for every single one of us. Some of you, you have cheated like David and Bathsheba. Some of you, you you've slept with a bunch of different people, you've messed around, you've done some terrible things, you're you're stuck in sin right now. But I want you to know this, guys, Jesus is there and there's hope for you. There's hope for anyone, that no one is too far gone. No one has done too much. That if you're not dead, God's not done. This is the truth. And guys, I stand here as evidence. Like it doesn't make sense that I'm up here except for God intervening. This is David. Let's keep going. Those are some of the men. Matthew also mentions a handful of women. And one of the women that we see is a girl named Rahab. Look back, you'll see her in, in verse five. All right, but Rahab, to, to my knowledge, is, is mentioned eight times throughout the Bible. And in six of those occasions, all right, the word prostitute is attached to her name. Okay, so kind of a bummer if you're, if you're Rahab, okay? But, but not only that, Rahab had another strike against her. Right, not only was she a prostitute, but she was also a Canaanite, which was just really just a, a race of, of people that were, were enemies of God's people. They were always seeking to, to wage war with Israel, and so needless to say, the Jews were not big Rahab fans, right? But here's what happens, okay? In Joshua chapter 2, some Jews come to the town that she's living. They're being hunted down by Canaanite soldiers, and their lives are in danger, and somehow these these Jews they, they run into Rahab, she hides them, and she lies to these soldiers who are looking for them, and she ultimately saves their lives. And so if we had to sum up Rahab, listen to who Rahab is. She is a lying pagan prostitute who's despised by most everyone. But here's the great part. She meets some of God's people. She comes to faith, and her life is changed. Guys, and through her story, we see that God is willing to adopt anyone. Guys, hear that, anyone into his family. This is absolutely essential for us to know. Someone in here tonight needs to hear this, that God is so good that he's willing to look at even the most messed up, crazy, sinful people and say, it's not about what you've done, it's about what I've done for you. Some of you here tonight, you would say, I've done horrible things. And so that I would say, okay. Like you're in good company. You're in the salt company and we've all done horrible things. There's only one that's perfect and his name is Jesus. And that's why we love him. That's why we do everything in his name. Because there's good news. There's room for you in Jesus' family, right? Because this, thank you. This is what God does. And finally, the last woman I'll mention. In verse 5, it's Ruth. Guys, and I love Ruth's story. If I have another daughter, I'm going to push for Ruth being the name. Because here's the thing with Ruth. She, she may be one of the most phenomenal women in the Bible. But while she was a great woman, Ruth comes from a, a really bad background. She comes from a line of people called the Moabites. All right? And the Moabites can trace their ancestry all the way back. There's like a fly hanging around my head. Can They can trace their ancestry back all the way in the days of Abraham to a man named Lot, who's a pretty messed up dude, right? You ask, what's wrong with Lot? A lot, okay? <laughs> like, a lot. <laughs> but here's what happens, okay? Genesis chapter 19, we see that Lot and his daughters, they were, they were hiding. All right? They were afraid of being killed as there was a bunch of bad stuff happening. And, and with this, they, they isolated themselves in a cave somewhere, and they were just living in this cave, Lot and his daughters, well, the daughters were getting older and they became so worried that they would never have children. In those days, like, you had to, like women, you got some of your value from having kids and they were worried that they weren't going to have kids. And so the, the daughters kind of get together and they say, okay, here's what we're gonna, I got a plan for this. That we're going we're gonna to make this happen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get dad drunk and then we'll take turns having sex with him and he'll get us pregnant and we'll have kids. And this is what happens. And they become the first of the Moabites. So clearly a little dysfunction here, right? I mean, back in the day, Jerry Springer, all over this, okay? Dr. Phil, every single day of the week, okay? (laughs) But the Moabites, they basically become that part of the family that no one wants to hang around with. They walk into the family reunion and always like, okay, there's the Moabites, right? This is is them, right? You remember that show, Here Comes Honey Boo Boo? (laughs) This is like, that's not right, that's mean. Okay, I'm sorry. It's kind of like that. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. <laughs> Guys, this is where Ruth comes from. This is where she comes from. Because here's what happens. Some Jews, God's people, they end up living in a region near Ruth in the Moabites. And Ruth and the people of God begin to interact Ruth comes to faith, starts to follow God, and her family origin, which labeled her as disgusting and undesirable, gets erased, and she enters into the family of God as a new person. And as her story goes, she marries a guy named Boaz, and we learn that she gives birth to a son, and she becomes King David's great-grandma. Because I don't know about you, but I love this. Like, I love this. I see myself in, in this story. If I was a woman, it'd be perfect, but it's not. Like, but I see myself. Here's, here's a woman with the wrong past, born into a messed up family, had a hard life, was far from God, she was despised and rejected by so many, but then she meets God, and he changes her identity completely, and he makes her new. This is what the Apostle Paul says in in 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 17, right? If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Behold, the new has come and the old has gone. You're new. This is what Ruth's story is all about. And so guys, let's just pause and and apply Matthew chapter one. There's a powerful lesson to learn about Jesus and his family right now. Jesus is an unexpected sort of king with an unexpected sort of family. Just like the genealogy of Jesus, the family and the kingdom of Jesus will be filled with broken and messed up people. And here's what that means for me and you today. Guys, maybe you have a messed up story. Maybe you have a shame-filled past. Maybe you're sort of the sort of person that like no one would expect. Maybe you're even from Iowa and everyone in Minnesota hates you. Okay? You know, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Someone pray for that girl. But you know what, if that's you, because that's good, because if you're messed up and you're a nobody and you're broken, you're exactly the sort of person that can be part of the family line of Jesus. The sort of people that Jesus is inviting right now into his family are a lot like the people that were part of the family line in the past. And I'll even say this, guys, you being here is a reminder of your invitation to Jesus' family. That is why you're here. You're not here by coincidence. Like the sovereignty of God has brought you here so Jesus can invite you into his family and remind you of this gospel truth. And so here's how we'll end tonight, guys. I think there's a lot of people here that maybe are like the, the Jews that Matthew is, is writing to that maybe we have like a, a complete misunderstanding about what it means to come to God and live in the family of God. Because humanity, guys, we, we can't seem to fathom being welcomed in by a perfect God, a perfect and holy God. And so what we do, because it doesn't make sense, we, we try and reconcile like our lack of understanding. And the only thing that seems to make sense for so many people is that we have to be perfect like God to get into his family. And that's not only not true, But this keeps so many people away from God because deep down inside every single one of us, we know that we cannot be good enough for God. And so, so many people say, okay, well, why even try then? I want you to think about it like this, guys. The Jews of this time, they viewed the family of God like a job interview. It was all about looking good and where you came from but Matthew shows us by looking at these people tonight that it's not like that at all. Because I want you to hear this, guys. Coming to Jesus' family is like going to the doctor's office, not a job interview. That some of us, we, we think that come to Jesus, like you go to a job interview and like you, you present yourself in the best possible light. Like you, you go to your connection group, you walk into Salt Company and be like, here's, here's my resume, right? And, and you're like, here, look, what I'm, look how good I am. This isn't the way you walk into a doctor's office, right? You don't walk into a doctor's office and the doctor says, hey, well, what's wrong? You're like, actually, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm fine. Man, I'm really actually thriving right now. Just wanted to come say hi, right? <laughs> no, you like walk into a doctor's office and the doctor's like, what's wrong? And you're like, I got this rash and it's oozing and it smells. Like, that's weird, like I don't know, <laughs> right? But this is what we do, we, we are just real. We come with our stuff. Guys, this is what it looks like to come to Jesus and to come to Jesus' family. There's, and there's no fear in this because we talked about this last night, that God's radical love is just, it's unexpected. Romans 5.8, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died, he died for all that stuff that we wanna hide. But Jesus invites us to come to his family and just to bring it all out to the light and say, here it is. Because once it's out in the light, it can be forgiven and it can be killed. And we can live as the people that God has created us to be. Guys, tonight is just an invitation to come to Jesus. If you're a Christian, come to Jesus. Lay the sin at his feet grab somebody in your connection group in your cabin and just say, here's the thing. Go to the doctor's office tonight. If you're not, you just need to know there is a place for you in Jesus' family and he died to make it possible because Jesus welcomes us into his family. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for this just a, this unexpected truth of what your family looks like. God, there's times in in my life where I could be tempted just to hide because I I just have the wrong view of you as a father with a family full of broken people that you died for. And so, Holy Spirit, these words that we just heard, these names that we just looked at through the genealogy of, of Jesus... Would you speak to us? Even as we sing these songs, will you reinforce the truths that we need a Savior, that we have a Savior, that we can come to a Savior It's all about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. God, would you just highlight that, burn that into our hearts and use that gospel truth to make us into gospel people for the sake of the world?